culture, community, what that means, and we've been doing that, coming specifically from Nehemiah. And so we've been working through a trajectory of sermons, obviously, um, how we engage with the community and the world around us, how we as not just the local church, but the global church brings about restoration, redemption, and renewal, not just in the specific community around us, but in the rest of the world, which we don't do on our own. And so today we're looking at a sermon it's called Discipline and Duty, and we're coming out of Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 9. Um, we're going to go all the way through verse 20. And in this sermon, um, we're going to be reminded of, yeah, there's a great work the Lord has called us to, but work is work. Work means work. And anything that any of us are going to do for God, it is going to require something from us. It's going to require something out of us. And so that's what we want to listen to today. So go with me, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. Nehemiah writes, he says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me, sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, I, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I rose in the night and I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley of, of the gate to the dragon spring and the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had told no one, I had told not yet the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build so they strengthened their hand for the good work. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant of Engeshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, as we um, prepare our hearts to hear and receive the word, God, let it also be a reminder for us. Every one of us wants to be used. Every one of, every one of us wants to be called to the work that you've called us to, God, but we also realize that there is even more required of us than we know. God, it requires discipline. It requires a sense of duty to you. 
And so, God, in all that we want to do, whether that is our goal as a local church, as the global church, whether that is our personal goals, whatever the case may be, God, we know that unless we do what you have required us to do, we will not do anything great in your name. And so help us see that with diligence and clarity today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there's a quote that says that the road to greatness starts with ability, but that road only keeps going through discipline. And when we are all hopefully traveling on that road to success, what we realize is that there are many people on the side of the road who did not have the discipline to endure. There are many people who have the ability. There are many people who can think. There are many people who can make, who can create. There are lots of people who have the ability to do the work, to be great, to be successful, specifically in Christ. But there are very few people who have the actual discipline to do what is required of them. And what we learn about discipline is when the ability starts to fade, it is the discipline that allows you to continue to do what it is that you need to do. Everything in life will boil down to a matter of discipline. Can I discipline myself to do whatever the Lord has required me to do, but also as I discipline myself, do I do it because I feel a sense of duty? Y'all, Nehemiah in this way that we see is committing himself to doing the work that the Lord had called him to do. But what we also learn is not only is that role that we're talking about to success lined with people who didn't have the discipline to do the work, it is also lined with naysayers. That road is also lined with people who have negative thoughts and opinions about what it is that the Lord has called you to do. It's opposition. And every one of us, as we proceed to do the work of the Lord, whether that is a physical or natural work, whether that is committing ourselves to be good family members, be good husbands or wives or good employees, what we have to realize is if all of that work is for the Lord, then there is an adversary that wants to stop and hinder all of what we're going to do for God. Now, this is not one of those self-centered, you-have-hater sermons. You, you probably do, but you don't. But in reality, all of us are opposed. All of us are disliked. Hopefully, all of us are hated not for doing evil but hopefully for doing good. The opposition that we face is not that we are the, the target, it's that, that we are enemies by proxy. It is the fact that we are on the Lord's side, enlisted in God's army, that allows people, that, that, that leads people, that gives people the desire to want to attack us personally. But see, if you understand this sense of discipline, if you understand this sense of duty, the one encouragement before we get in, even into this sermon that you should have is, yeah, what they said, what they did may affect me, but it's not really about me. It's about who I serve. It's about the team that I'm on. And so even in your frustration, the discipline that you need comes from knowing that the attack is not against me, it's against my father. 
And my duty is not even to myself. My allegiance is not even to me. But my allegiance, my, my willingness to stay in the fight is not of a sense of duty for myself or pride or arrogance in me, but is in a sense of duty and pride in my God. And so all of us who are believers should share with Nehemiah that we will face supernatural enemies. And that leads us to our first point. Good work begins by acknowledging that I have an enemy. I am, it, that, that's just the reality. I have an enemy. And again, this is not a false sense of self-importance. That enemy is not directed at you, but God is the threat. And if you are who you say you are, which, by the way, the enemy knows if you carry the spirit of God on the inside of you, what the enemy attacks is not you, but it's what is inside of you. I'm reminded of the situation in Romans with the seven sons of Sceva when they were trying to cast out the demon. And the demon says to them, look, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? The enemy recognizes that we are members of the body of Christ and that his spirit dwells in us. So whatever attacks we feel, knowing that we have an enemy, that is an enemy of God. And just so you understand this, even if you don't realize that your work is a threat to the enemy, if you are a Christian, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you are a custodian, a counselor, a CEO. If you are a Christian, wherever God has placed you, that is a threat to the enemy's territory. Because wherever you are, you increase the likelihood that you're driving out the darkness with the light. doesn't matter what that job is. And every work that you're called to do for God is an opportunity to enlarge God's territory. But also, our proxies, the corollary truth, as God's territory enlarges, Satan is forced to retreat. And he doesn't want to retreat. And the biggest threat that we have to the enemy in the world is the gospel. And you know, this is one of the reasons why you've got to see your faith, your Christian faith, not as this passive thing, where I'm always reacting to what the world is doing, but can I be an active and proactive believer who realizes I'm not just a Christian who sits in a pew, who reads the Bible, who feels comfortable, who dresses nicely, but I've actually enlisted in the army of God. And I don't think there's anything worse than to be in a fight and not realize that you're in the fight. When you surrender your life to Christ, you were drafted. You were drafted into the army of God. This is one of those reasons why, for the people in the room who have been in the military, there is a direct connection between your sense of duty and how you discipline yourself. Obviously, I was never in the military, but what I learned is the duty that people feel in the military is not to the country. It is not to the principles that this world believes in. It's actually a sense of duty to the person next to them. 
I got to get up because I don't want my brother or my sister or my friend who we've been through basic training and we've endured and we get up early enough and I don't want to lack the discipline that will cost them their life. That's what gives you that sense of discipline is because you know if I'm not where I need to be, if I don't discipline myself the way I need to discipline myself, lives are at stake. And so you commit to do my definition of discipline. Discipline is doing what I don't want to do when I don't want to do it. You commit to doing that because you know if my enemy is out there preparing, disciplining himself for the fight, and I'm slacking and lacking, then what's going to happen? I'm liable to be more susceptible to attack. And so when you're in a fight, you realize the fight doesn't start on the front line, the fight ends on the front line. The, the real fight is who got up earlier? Who went out looking for the enemy earlier? Who was more proactive? Who, who instead of playing was prepared? That's the real fight. It starts well before you're actually in the fight. It happens in our readiness. And we've learned over the last few weeks that that begins with prayer, certainly. I can't do anything for God if I have not at least acknowledged God. If I haven't acknowledged that God, is this even what you want me to do? First step, prayer. But once you've gotten confirmation that that is what the Lord wants you to do, it moves from prayer to confirmation to preparation. All right, Lord, if this is what you've confirmed to me that you've called me to do, then you don't expect me just to sit around and allow you to move, but you want me to work as you work. You expect something out of me as well. I've got to be prepared to do the work that the Lord has called me to do. And that's where it takes wisdom and, and strategy. Y'all, it's so weird to me how many Christians there are who think that they can do whatever the Lord has called them to do and not submit to the disciplines that the Lord requires them to do. Can't believe it. If you preach, study. If you sing, rehearse. If you write, you got to read. And if you build, then you need to calculate. Whatever the duty is, God has given a discipline to it. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever the duty is, there is a discipline that God has called. Nehemiah prepared himself because he is planning his travel. I think it's one of those, those things that we don't even notice in Scripture. Notice when he traveled. He said he had slept during the day in order to make sure that he could get up late at night and then travel then. Why did he do that? I mean, we talked about having, you know, the wisdom of a serpent. He knows, well, if I've already got opposition... And I'm going to go inspect this work, and I haven't really even told many people what the Lord has called me to do. The last thing I want to do is draw too much attention to myself. 
And so he disciplines himself for the work by sleeping when other people are awake and moving and working and traveling when the enemy is asleep. He's strategizing it and he's positioning himself to do what the Lord has called him to do in order to be successful in what the Lord has called him to do. Because you know, y'all, that there is an enemy, then it should affect how you move. It should affect what you say and who you say it to. It, it should affect who you befriend. If you know the Lord has called me to this, and that there's an enemy that I can't always identify, it might be wise for you to be quiet for a while until the Lord shows you who's really for him and who's really for them. I am often disappointed because so many of us need affirmation. We need confirmation. We need people to know how great we're doing that the second the Lord gives us a thought, an idea, a plan, a vision, the first thing we do is we post about it, we text, we call, we let everybody know, y'all, I'm taking a new job, I'm moving to a city, things are going to work out for me. Not realizing that when you put stuff out there, Y'all be talking all spiritually. I, I mean practically. You don't know who people know. And you put yourself out there trying to look good and successful, not realizing that you have opened the door to the enemy. It's not that deep. The Lord might have called you to it. The Lord may have be preparing you for it. But you need to be quiet until the Lord places you exactly where he needs to place you. And get rid of that need and desire to have pride and affirmation. If you know God called you to something, don't brag about it. Just do what the Lord has called you to do. And that's what Nehemiah did. Look at how he's maneuvering. He says, I didn't tell anybody in Jerusalem. I didn't even tell the priest. Before I went down, I just took a few people with me and I went down to prepare and inspect the wall. He's not needed for affirmation. He's not needed for applause. He needs to make sure he can do the work that he needs to do. So in everything that I feel called to do by God, let me remember that not everybody is going to be excited about that. Not everybody is actually even going to encourage me in that. I have an enemy. I got to remember, before I do anything for the Lord, when it looks like sunshine and roses and when God is giving me vision and it feels good and it feels euphoric, I got to remember, I have an enemy. And then you have to ask yourself, is knowing that I have an enemy a deterrent? Would I prefer to do this work for God without any resistance? And if you realize, you know what, I don't have the wherewithal to do this and face the ridicule, and face the shame, and face the lies and the embarrassment, the all-out fight and the war. If you don't feel that sense of duty to discipline yourself through that, double back. Ask yourself, has the Lord really called me to this? Because how can you be in the fight for the Lord 
and not want to fight. Second point, he assessed the job. Nehemiah assessed the job that was called for him to do. Preparation and discipline work hand in hand, y'all. Preparation, by the way, is a discipline. There are a few uh, health pages, workout pages that I follow on Instagram, and the discipline that everyone sees that they think they know is the going to the gym. But the other discipline that people often don't see is in the food prep and in the nutritional guidelines, and they take hours out of their day to prep meals for the week to make sure that they don't have any unaccounted for meals, any surprises, so they don't have to cram any bad food in. People think the, the discipline is just working out, but the other discipline is developing a diet that when you do the work, it will be reflected because you're doing the work that nobody else sees. Y'all, in the same way, whatever the Lord has called you to do, whether it is preaching, playing, singing, working in the, the field that the Lord has called you to, to work in, there is a discipline that you need to have. Yeah, I need to show up on time when I'm at work. I need to do what I need to do. But the meal prep for us is, am I praying? Am I fellowshipping with God? Am I in fellowship with other believers? Because there is a sad thing for you to be out on the front line ready for war and you have no weaponry. You have no armor. And you're vulnerable because you didn't do the prep work necessary for the fight. In your private time, are you as disciplined to God as you are in public? When you're doing all the things that you feel like the Lord has called you to do, does the Lord even know who you are when you're not here? Everybody can say, I just want to thank God for giving me this talent. Doesn't matter how misogynistic your lyrics in the song were to get you that Grammy. I just want to thank God. Everybody can do that. But to really thank God is not just a lip service, but it's to show him, no, God, I'm committed to you. Because in the background, when nobody else sees, I'm diligent about maintaining our relationship. And I think we're seeing Nehemiah doing just that. He is preparing for the work. Now, how can he know what tools he needs or how many people he needs if he doesn't prepare first? It doesn't make sense that he's going to go do a work and not even know what that work requires of him. And it makes me think, y'all, just how often we forget that as God puts things on our hearts, We've got to remember, yeah, God is supernatural, but God is both practical and God is procedural. With God, everything has a process. Everything has a procedure. Now, sometimes people will make trusting God seem like an impractical thing, but I'm going to tell you like this. Trusting God is the most practical thing you can do. That's the most practical thing you can do. It doesn't require you to disengage your mind to trust God. 
even when God instructed Abraham to leave his country, which seems like a very impractical thing. Leave your nation behind, your people behind. Leave your false gods behind. He doesn't just tell him, go. He says, go to the place that I will show you. He gives them process. He gives them procedure. And the only time Abraham got in trouble is when he doubted God's direction. Look, God gives us steps. I'm not saying he's giving you every step as clear as you want it to be. But if God says take a step, then there's no other choice other than to take a step. To move when God says move and trust and believe that he will show me the way that he's taking me. Love it. He knows the way that I take and the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. I don't have to know the way in order to trust that he is the way. That's, that's, that's it. The problem with Abraham is when Abraham wanted to expedite the process, when he wanted to skip some steps, when he didn't realize it was going to take him 25 years to see the promise of God fulfilled and he wanted to do it on his own, that's when he got in trouble. What I'm telling you is I don't know whatever the Lord has called you to, whatever you believe the Lord has called you to, I don't know how long it's going to take. It could happen in the last year of your life. But I will tell you like this. Anytime you step outside the path of the course that God has you on, that is a dangerous place to be in. I would rather, God, it take a hundred years of faithfulness, discipline, duty, and diligence, and maybe I see five minutes of it than to try to get what the Lord has not called me to doing things he's not called me to do. Now the question is, are you willing to stay the course? Look, that Hebrew sex, I use as encouragement, but it often disturbs me because I be thinking like, Lord, what if I'm one of the ones that didn't see he says, many of these died in faith and they saw these things afar off, never having received them, but they believed that they were in a world that was not their own. They were sojourners in a strange land, but they could see a city afar off, a country whose builder and maker was God. And they were able to commit themselves even to death and they didn't even receive the promise. What if I end up being Moses? Are you comfortable being the person who may have to guide other people into the freedom that you thought was for you? That's, that's the question. If what the Lord has called you to do is nothing more than be a door for other people to walk through, are you comfortable with that being your calling? In other words... If it doesn't make you great, are you still comfortable knowing God called you to it? 
can't just skip the process. God is a God of order. And that is not to say that God is subjected to man's order. We see all throughout scripture, he calls the younger over the older. He calls his people who never would have been used. He takes prostitutes and he takes broken people and he uses them. God's order is different than man's order. So that's not to say it has to look a certain type of way. But it is to say that in everything that God does, he does not do it out of order. Which means you need to fall in line. If you want to be used, if you want to do what the Lord has called you to do, you are not going to do that outside of the ordered system that God has. No, you are not the exception. And no one knows better than God that if he's called me something that I don't feel qualified to do, he will qualify me to do the work. He will qualify me to do the work. And no one knows me better than God. Yes, God will call us out of our comfort. Yes. But he will use our gifts to do that work. Y'all, the Lord knows exactly how he made you. That is not just a cliche. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knew you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows exactly what turns the knob for you, what pushes certain buttons. God knows you. And you've got to trust that God will place you as it pleases him. Even if you don't realize that the gift is a gift, God still knows how to use it. I, I think it's beautiful. We don't, I don't really hear people talk about this much, but you got to think about what happens with David. David is called to do something enormous. He's taking down a giant. But the way he did it, God operated in what his gift already was. He didn't have to go buy a slingshot. He didn't have to go rent some stones. He had what he needed because that is what he had already been using. God had been gifting him for that. See, he used that slingshot. He used those stones. If you don't know, if there was a predator that was coming to take one of the sheep, he just knock it out. Sheep are stupid. They started to wander. He just take a little redirect that sheep. He had been using that slingshot and stones his whole life. So when it's time for him to take that giant down, he doesn't have to go get something he had not already used. And the reason we know that is because the moment they try to put Saul's armor on him, he says, I have not proven this. It's too big. I don't fit this. It's not what God has called me to. The beauty in what God has called you to do is he will use what he's already gifted you to do. But let me also encourage you, David's prep time to take down Goliath had been going on for years. God had been prepping him for years. He was just a little sheep boy. But in that place that he was in, God was shaping him to do the work that he had really called him to do. So this is the encouragement for myself because I need it in this season of life. While many of us, y'all, are trying to rush 
rush past this stage, this season of life we're in, the truth is that it all may be God preparing you. God actually may have you sitting down with some sheep, which seems like a filthy, no name, no acclaim, no notoriety job, but he actually might be preparing you and prepping you for what he's called you to do. And it might feel like isolation. And it may feel like you've been forgotten, but this is evidence that there are times and seasons and stages in life where God will sit you down in order to prepare you for what he's called you to do. Third and last point. It's probably the most important one. Know who sent you. Know who sent you. This is going to make a little bit more sense as we get ready for the sermon next week. But this is a little precursor. If you are afraid, if you have sought counsel, if you plan, if you prepared, if you've assessed the job and you know that God has sent you to do it, then all you need to know is that God has sent you to do it. That's it. You have God on your side. Look at what Nehemiah says here. Once he allows them in and lets them know what he had been instructed to do, he says, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. His confidence is not in himself. His, his, his trust is not in him. His trust is, is no. I did a lot of work to know that God got me here. God got me here. And the God that got me here is going to make sure that what I do for him lives. That the work I do for him prospers. This is what I like to call holy boldness. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's the same thing as Paul saying, I will make my boast, but not in me. I will make my boast in the God who sent me. My faith, my small mustard seed sized faith matched with the infinite God of all creation is enough to do whatever work God has called us to do. And no, it is not necessarily in that I know I will be the one that finishes the work. I may not be the one who finishes the work, but I do know that it will be finished. Because God, who began a good work, if he began it in me, he might finish it in somebody else. But if he began a good work, he is faithful to perform and complete that work. I might be the digger of the well and someone else will drink from it. I might build a house that someone else lives in. I'm not saying that I am going to finish a work, but if me and God begin it, then he will see to it that it's finished. And there is not an enemy, there is no Satan, there is no devil in hell who can stop what God has planned. Once Nehemiah is free to tell others what the Lord instructed him to do, he made sure that he was clear in explaining his vision. A clear vision with a clean conscience 
and winning souls is the perfect formula for success. But let me say this, final thing. Knowing that God sent you is not an excuse for you to be lazy. Sometimes people believe, okay, the Lord has called me to do this. The Lord's called me to preach, called me to pastor, called me to do these things. I ain't got to prepare no sermon. I ain't got to study. I just show up. Lord called me to do it. I just, just show up and do it. But the evidence that the Lord has called you is the discipline to doing what the Lord has called you to do. You can't just sit back and just think the Lord is going to do the work without you. Anything that the Lord is intended to accomplish to you, through you, requires your participation. And more than anything, more than just your participation, it requires your obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, all of us want to be used. In terms of being used by you, God, all of us want to be great. We want to be successful in that. God, that is not a, a bad desire. But God, bad discipline, bad practices, an unwillingness to acknowledge an enemy. God, those are the things that corrupt good intentions. God, as we look into the world and we see many men and women who maybe began their work with the intention of being pleasing to you, many of them have fallen by the wayside. Not many of them are on the side of the road because they didn't have the discipline, the sense of duty, the desire to be obedient. That I want to be used. We all do. But I want to be used because of my willingness, not because of my rebellion. God, you know what you require out of every single one of us. And we all got something that we want to do, but we won't do it without you. God, whether that is to build this church and rebuild this community, to see restoration and renewal, God, we're not going to do that without you. God, whether that is what you've called us to professionally and career-wise, ministry-wise, God, we're not going to do that without you. So, Lord... As we think about everything that you've called us to do, we, I pray that we've got vision, we've got confirmation, we've had prayer. We've done all those things, God. I pray that you would give us a discipline to do the work, a sense of duty, to fight, to do what you've called us to do. So, Jesus,